0: Morning, Willow Park Church. Thank you so, so much for being here. I am so excited that we can come and we can join each other uh, wherever we're at, in our houses, on the road, driving, listening in, wherever we're listening. I'm so grateful that I could uh, we could join each other and uh, learn today. My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here, and thank you. Thank you for taking this time. Um, today, before we start, I want to kind of describe what we're going to be talking about, kind of give you a a little pre about it, so you kind of hopefully can track along. We're talking today about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, what was the law um, of, of the dietary laws and uh, all that stuff, and also um, the laws of sacrificing um, to, to justify people before God, the Israelites specifically before God, to separate them from other people. And it was a good thing um, for a time. And that was a time after Adam and before Jesus. But that time changed when Jesus came and he brought in a new covenant and he brought in something new so that people could experience a newness and a freedom in life and an end of religion, essentially. The religious laws were stated there and they were good for a moment, but there needed to be an end because it wasn't perfect. So before we head into that, let's take a moment and pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you that we can be here, we can worship you, and we can be in your presence. As we're here, wherever we're at, in our homes, in our cars, driving around, I ask that you be with us, that we can hear what you have to say, and we can listen to you. I pray that something new might be stoked in our hearts and excitement um, um, for a real relationship with you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. And I tried to summarize what I was talking about this way today, and it's probably a little bit confusing. But here we go, anyways. What was isn't what what was isn't what is. What is isn't what was. What once cast a shadow has now come in the light. What was once good is now best. Who is always was and always will be. Who is always was and always will be. God never changes, but certain aspects as we grow in our faith and as we grow from the Old Testament and New Testament had to change. There's a book called The End of Religion um, by a, a guy named Bruxy Cavey, um, who's a pastor in a church Um, in in Eastern, in, in Ontario, called The Meeting House. And he wrote this book called The End of Religion, and I highly recommend it to anyone listening right now. And this, a little bit, comes from that, but this idea in Colossians 2, verse 16 and 17 really signifies to me the end of religion, the end of what was and the beginning of what is, the grace, the grace time, the time that we enter in the grace age. It's so exciting that we can live in a time where we are just accepted, And we can live freely with Him. And not have to worry about rules and expectations and regulations and our own sacrifices that we can do. We can be excited about what He has done. So what was and what is. And what was is this. Oh yeah, a quote. I was going to say something else, but I have something first. A quote and then we'll get into what I was going to say. There's this wonderful quote um, by Robert Capon. And he says this christianity is not a religion christianity is the proclamation of the end of religion not of a new religion or even the best of all religions it is the if the cross is the sign of anything it is the sign that god has gone out of the religion business and solved all the world's problems without requiring a single human being to do a single religious thing robert cap on. If the cross is the sign of anything, it's the sign that God has gone out of the religion business and solved all the world's problems, wow, without requiring a single human being to do a single religious thing. And solving all the world's problems is us entering into a relationship with Jesus freely. And that's the end of religion, the end of having to earn God's favor, being able to just be loved by God and accept his love for us. So, the old and the new. The story I was going to tell you is a story of a parrot. It's actually a Monty Python sketch that I watched this week on YouTube. You're more than welcome to go watch it. It's a bit dark as Monty Python is, but it's pretty funny. And um, this Monty Python sketch, there's a, you might know it. You might not know it. You might not appreciate Monty Python at all. I'm kind of in the middle with it, but I thought it was a good example. The sketch, the sketch is a, a patron uh, purchases a parrot from the bird salesman. The parrot was standing in its cage when the person bought it and the guy took it home and then the parrot fell over and it was very apparent that the parrot had already been deceased by the, when he, the person bought it. So he brought back the parrot to the person to the, well, easy for me to say, the parrot to the salesman, the bird salesman. He said, look, I bought this parrot from you and this parrot is dead. He says, well, how do you know it's dead? He says, well, cause it's laying there and it's dead. Can't you see that it's dead? He says, well, I don't know if it's dead. Maybe it's just in shock. Maybe it's just taking a break. And they go back and forth, hilarity ensues. And the, and the shop owner says, well, look at the lovely feathers. Look at the beautiful plume that it has. And the, and the person says, well, it's fine uh, that it has a beautiful plume, But it doesn't mean anything to me because the parrot's dead. He says, well, how do you know it's dead? Well, because it was nailed here to the perch and and it's pretty obvious. And so what the, the patron is trying to sell is that this parrot looks like a beautiful parrot, seems to be a beautiful parrot, but it has no life in it. And religion is this, is this, the shop owner reminds me of when we try our hardest to hold things of the past that were in, when there is indeed something new happening, when we try to hold onto the things of the past, even though they look nice, they look lovely, they look beautiful, but they really are things of the past. I feel like the old covenant is this parrot where it was beautiful. It had a purpose, it had a point, but it's the thing of the past and we can't bring it into the future. See, God is, did something new. Perhaps something worked well in the past and it was fully intended, but God does new things. People talk about the verse, um, Hebrews chapter 13, verse eight. And it talks about how God is the same yesterday, today and forever, which is very, very true. God is the same yesterday, today and forever. But what God does, doesn't need to be the same yesterday, today and forever. He wants to do something new. He wanted to do something new for the Israelites. He wanted to do something new for the whole world and bring everyone into unity. He wants to do something new for you today. Just because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever doesn't mean he doesn't want to do something new. Bruxy says this, yes, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and this God, who is the same, has promised to birth something completely new that would simultaneously bring about the end of religion. God wanted to bring something new that would bring the end of religion, the end of the old, the old sacrificial system, the end of the old laws, Bring in something new that would, be a, that would be a beautiful sacrifice that everyone could just accept and we could all be in a beautiful relationship with God. In Isaiah 43, verse 18 and 19, it says this, don't cling to the events of the past or dwell on what happened long ago. Watch for the new thing that I am going to do. It's happening already, you can see it now. There's the anticipation of something new. There's the anticipation of something that's exciting. What they wanted, what the... Paul is addressing this to the Colossians, and there's going to be Jewish people that are coming along that want to keep them into what was. And what the Jewish people wanted is they wanted Jesus to come in and actually to uphold the law. They wanted Jesus to come in and to bring about the old covenant and and prop it up and say, this is the way. Let's just remember this is the way, and I'm the king of the Jews, and the king of the Jews does things the old way. They weren't expecting this. They weren't expecting something new. In my experience, religious people tend to want to add new things to old things. They want to have what they had and mix it along with the new things. If you are with us a number of, oh, just before COVID, I suppose, a couple of years ago now, we were doing a Galatians series. And if you're new with us, you can go back and you can have a listen. It's a fantastic series. And, and really what the, the main point of, of, of Galatians is that they're, was a desire to have a Jesus plus. You have Jesus, you have the new, the new guy that came in, died for our sins, but we still need to have the plus. We still need to have the old, the old covenant. We still need to have what was, and people are trying to say that. They're trying to keep it in the old way. And Paul's saying to the Colossian people, Paul said to the Galatians, he says, look, it's not about the old way anymore. It's completely done. It's completely new. That parrot is now dead. We are going on to the new parrot, I suppose. So let's leave that behind, he's saying. But but Paul is saying there's other people that want to keep that. They want to keep Jesus plus the rituals. They want to keep Jesus plus the extra sacrifice. They want to keep Jesus plus everything else that goes along with it. Because they don't trust that Jesus can do it all. But Jesus can do it all, I assure you. And it's so much easier and it's so much better when we can just trust in Him. So let's open up our Bibles to Colossians 2, verse 16 and 17, where we're going to be reading today. And it says this, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to the religious festivals, a new moon celebration, a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. These are a shadow. These were something that was good that maybe you can participate in, but it's not the reality. It's just a shadow of things that are to come. There's two things that we're going to learn from this section of Scripture today. and The first thing is called planned obsolescence. Planned obsolescence. Jesus is the annulment and the abolition of the old covenant in favor of the new covenant. Jesus is the cancellation of the law in favor of the way of love. Jesus is the cancellation of the law in favor of the way of love. That is so important. He's the cancellation of the law in in favor of the way of love. The writer of an Ephesians says it like this. Jesus broke down the wall of hostility that separated us he did this by ending the system of the law with its commandments and regulations jesus ended that he ended the system that made us have to do stuff and us to keep regulations because i can barely keep my daytimer in order how can i keep the regulations and all those commandments and every single thing in order And then in John 1.17, the apostle also makes the contrast quite clear. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. That means grace and truth weren't really coming through fully before. They were a shadow, they were an etch, and we'll get into that in a bit. But the grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews says it bluntly. Now, I'm going to look at a few different versions of this to help it make it more clear as we go on. But the NASB, quite a literal translation, says, the writer of the Hebrews says this bluntly. He takes away the first order to establish the second. He takes away the first order, the Old Covenant, to establish the second. In the Good News translation, so God does away with all the old sacrifices taking all the old sacrifices, taking everything that you had to do and puts the sacrifice of Christ in their place. Quite literally saying you, your weekly, your monthly, your yearly sacrifices have now been exchanged for Jesus. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second covenant into effect, the New Living Translation. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second covenant into effect. The old covenant had to be done, had to be canceled, had to be ended in order for the new one to come. He couldn't have two covenants at the same time. It just doesn't work that way. And it says, Hebrews 8, verse 13, and Hebrews is a great uh, whole book to kind of get all through this. But he says, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means that he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. You think it's weird that the Bible calls itself obsolete? Obsolete. Well, it's actually not calling itself obsolete. It's calling what was the old covenant obsolete. Before we get ahead of ourselves, the Bible is not calling itself obsolete in toto. The Old Testament is still used and will continue to be used to point us to Jesus. Every word of the Bible endures. But what's happening here is the end of separation. The Old Testament is ends of separation of the Jews and the Gentiles. Every word of the Bible, every word that we have in the Bible points us towards Jesus, yes. But the law is now obsolete. The law, the binding rules, the rituals, the observances, the obligations, and the way of life that God and us, that life for God and us together, the old covenant is over obsolete, dead, done, gone, deceased, dearly departed, bereft of life, six feet under, and pushing daisies. Because Christ has fulfilled it. That is fulfilled and now is gone. And Jesus is here. The old covenant is the dead parent. There's two things that are stated in this verse. One is about things that we don't do. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you don't do. What you don't eat or drink. All the things that you don't do. All the, all the ideas that you don't do. Because if all the, all the things that you don't do... <laughs> In the law. And what those were there for was to separate us, to separate the Jews and the Gentiles, to make sure that there was a not us, the Jews and the Gentiles, sorry, was to separate them, to separate them from each other so that, that there was nothing that could that that could really interfere. So it's trying to say something that we don't do to make us holy. The second part of it. Is The religious festivals and new moon and celebrations of the Sabbath day, those are something some things that you do do to bring you into relationship with God back then. So, the eating is something that you don't do, and the new moon celebration of the Sabbath day is something that you do do. The laws are something that you do, and there's something that you did to bring you into relationship with God. And if there was something that you did wrong, there was a system in place for you to fix it, but you had to do something. But now the old covenant is gone and the new has come and those ways are now gone but people wanted to bring that in to the new relationship they wanted to say okay jesus is here but i still need to do we still need to do our new moon celebrations and our new religious festivals we gotta make sure we eat properly and do all these type of things but god's saying jesus is saying no that's not the case anymore So that is the obsolescence of the law. There was things that happened that we that that were taken away, but now there is something. The second thing that comes in this verse is it's called the shadowlands, and Jesus comes to end religion comes to end that religion this is what I I think is quite exciting about this passage is that the first part of the passage talks about about the laws and the things that you can and can't do and how that's gone but those are a shadow of what's to come Jesus is the goal Bruxy says he says the fulfillment of the consummation and culmination the telos and terminus of religion Jesus is the goal Jesus is the goal that we're getting to. Jesus is the end line. Jesus is the train station that we get to at the end. We don't want to get off early and we don't want to stay on the train. What happens if you get to the end of your train line and you stay on your train? The train just goes backwards. If you get to the very end of the line, there's only one place for that train to go and it's to go backwards. Jesus is the end destination for a train line. That was the end destination. That was what the shadow was, what was before moving ahead to what is. And what is, is Jesus. Jesus is the reality to which religion points. Jesus is the reality to which the Old Testament, the Old Covenant pointed towards. Everything that we see about the Old Testament is pointing us towards Jesus. Verse 17 says, these are a shadow of things that were to come. A shadow of things that were to come. This shadow is so amazing. I love the idea of the shadow. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow and a dim preview of a good thing to come. Not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under the system were repeated again and again, year after year but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who worshipped. The old covenant repetitious routine of animal sacrifice never really accomplished anything. It was a system that required continual repetition with certainty, not perfect. There were shadows of what was to come. What's a shadow? Oh yeah, that's the verse that I'm reading. Sorry about that. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of a good thing to come, not the good things under themselves. The sacrifice under that system was repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. Hebrews 10 verse 1, if they could have provided a perfect cleansing, the sacrifice would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once and for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. So in Colossians, Paul is talking about a shadow of what is to come, and the writer of Hebrews also talks about a shadow. The old system, under the law of Moses, was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things yet to come. The old repetitions are a shadow of what is beautiful and coming. Shadows are used, there's no real use for shadows other than see what's coming. There's no real use for shadows other than when I'm taking a walk with my son and there's in the evening and there's a, and there's a, a, a street light behind me and as it shines our big long shadows in front of us, it's showing what is to come. If you watch a scary movie and as the shadow kind of creeps around the corner, it is just showing what is to come. It's not really what it is, it can do nothing. It can just bring some shade. It can't do anything. It has no substance. It's just nothing. It's a reflection and it's an absence of light of what is to come. So my shadow is me minus all light, dimension, and definition. Your shadow is you minus all light, dimension, and definition. Religion is jesus minus all light dimension and definition we see the signs we see the pillars we see the posts along the way that point us to jesus but they are merely merely reflections of what is to come and this beautiful second part of the verse the reality however is found in christ the reality of what is to come is found in christ the old covenant is what was the reality is found in Christ. So these two verses, these two verses talk about a religious order that we used to do, that we used to participate in, and it was just a shadow, a negative image of what was to come and what is to come is Jesus, and he is the full light definition and dimension of what was cast in that shadow. But for some reason, we go back. For some reason, Paul's saying people want to go back and have that Jesus plus, or they want to go back and just be in the old covenant. They want to be in their religious ways. Why do we constantly go back? The end of religion should be a celebration point for us. The old way is gone. The new way of Jesus has come. The end of religion ushers in the new age of grace for anyone who responds to the call of God. It should be so beautiful. It should be something we celebrate. There's no more division. There's no more us and them. There's no more Jews and Gentiles. There's no more division amongst those people. But Paul's saying, look, be careful. People want to go back. Why would people want to go back? I don't understand. You don't understand. I don't understand. We don't understand. But we do. We find so much ease in going back into our Ways of religious ways. If we can fast, fast forward to our lives and our religious ways, we have tendency in religion. We have tendency in tradition. We have tendencies in doing things over and over again because we think that we're going to garner the appreciation of God. When we know full well through the scripture, through, this verses, through these verses that it's all about Jesus and nothing else, but we want to add something to it. Why do we go back? to what we want as opposed to what God wants. I have three reasons why we go back. We go back because of control. The Jewish people wanted to go back because they had control of their destiny. They had control of what was happening. They had control of the people around them. We can see in such horrible light in recent history in the Christian church and old history in the Christian church where religion has ruined things, and control has ruined things. We can go back to the the Crusades, but we can go back to residential schools. And the religious control of people doing things because they wanted to have control of other people, they wanted to have control of destinies, and they wanted to be in control, that is the damage that religion can do. That is the damage that... That not responding in a relationship to Jesus, but trying to take control for ourselves can do. Trying to take control of other people can do. And the pain that it can cause control is something that is so, so painful and so, so obvious and hurtful to people around us. That's why the Jewish people wanted to go back is for control. That's why we want to go back to our religious roots. And that's why we want to go back and try to take control of things because it does something else for us. It brings us comfort. Having control brings comfort because comfort is predictability. The Jewish people wanted to go back because they wanted to have comfort. They knew what to expect. The daily, the weekly, the monthly, the yearly traditions was a comfort for them. Our traditions of old are comfort. Now, I'm not saying it's about old and young generations. Every single generation, every single person that has developed some kind of routine has a bit of religion in them, has a bit of comfort in them. Yeah, some, of the, some people listening here might love songs of old. They don't like the new songs. Well, you know what? I'm older now. I don't even necessarily like the new songs. I like the songs of old. It might not be as old as the songs of old that you're thinking of, but I like my late nineties, early two thousands, Hill songs and Matt Redman's and all those type of things. We get into that stuff and they're not bad, but it's comfort. And sometimes there's new things that we need to embrace because God wants to do new things. New is not comfortable. You buy a new pair of shoes, it might not be the most comfortable. You buy a new pair of boots, if you want to go hiking, you buy a new pair of boots, you have to wear them in. It's not comfortable. We go back to our religious experiences because we can have control and we can have comfort and we can be complacent. Complacency is a feeling of smug or uncritical satisfaction with one's self or one's achievements. This is religion, is being satisfied with your own achievements. Being satisfied with what you've done to earn God's love. You can't earn God's love anymore because He loves you as much as anything ever. Please take comfort in that, that He loves you and He cares for you. And you cannot add anything to that love. That complacency is a feeling of smug, uncritical satisfaction with oneself or one's achievements. That is what the whole Old Testament, Old Covenant became. It's become, look at me, I held up my end of the bargain. I did what I needed to do. I held up my part of the of all those of all those laws and rules. Look at me. But when we fully embrace the covenant, look what we gain. Control. When we accept the new covenant, we gain allowing God to be in control, allowing God to take control of our lives. This is not a predestination thing where God is in control of us, but it's it's us allowing God To take control, allowing God to take charge, allowing God to guide us, allowing God to to take us from step A to step B, allowing that control, allowing him, allowing to say, God, Jesus, you did this on the cross for us. I trust you completely and you have control. When you accept his new covenant, you accept that he can be in charge and he can be in control and you can just trust in him because he has your best interest at heart. He cares for you and he loves you. When you accept his new covenant, you also gain comfort because when you allow God to take charge and when you allow God to take control and when you give him that, there's a comfort knowing that it's okay. You can be with him. You can be in his presence. That's the one thing I haven't really mentioned yet so far. The new covenant brings the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings comfort. It brings peace. It brings care. It brings love. It brings gentleness into our hearts. The Holy Spirit can come and live and reside in you. If you're at home right now, your marriage is is hurting. It's falling apart. The Holy Spirit wants to come in and bring comfort into your life. The Holy Spirit wants to come and bring peace. The Holy Spirit, that new covenant, wants to come in and reside in you and with you. The old way, it wouldn't allow for that because there was a separation even between us and God. God dwelt in one place in the temple. Now God dwells in our lives, in our temple, in our hearts. There's a comfort in knowing that. And the third thing is, we take pleasure knowing that God has done it all. We don't need to be complacent and and feel like we've done something and arrogant in what we've done. We can give it up to God, give it to Him, knowing that He's done it all. He's taken care of everything. He's done it all. The law shows us that we can't do it all. That is the purpose. That is the point. The law was good, but it wasn't great. The law was good, but it wasn't perfect. And Jesus came and brought that. It says the beginning of verse 16, all the way to the beginning of what we talked about today, it says the word, therefore. And all this stuff, the end of religion, is referring to something, therefore, before. And this is verse 15. All this is because of verse 15. All sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that all the rest weren't canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. I'll read that again. All sin forgiven, the slate wiped clean. That old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to the Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority. the cross and march them naked through the streets that old way the old sacrificial system the old religion is nailed to the cross done no more christ has fulfilled it and he walks with us and he and he gives us that life our take home this week is this i want you to take I'm going to try, you try, take three sessions of prayer over this next week. And in the first session of prayer, let's say Monday. Monday sounds like a good day for the first session of prayer, especially for the week. Say, God, I want you to take control. I invite you to take control. And then evaluate that. Evaluate what that means for God to take control. What do you have to give up in order for God to take control? Then day two, let's say Wednesday. That that you'll take comfort in His plan and His love for you. Take comfort that His Spirit lives in you. Take comfort in His plan that He has for you. Take comfort that He cares for you and He will clothe you and feed you as much as the birds of the air. Take comfort in Him. And day three, instead of finding satisfaction in our own works, we would find fullness in what He did on the cross. On Friday, take some time and find satisfaction not in what you've done, but what He's done for you on the cross. What He's done for you on the cross. We're going to take some communion right now. I just want to remember that. If you want to go grab some bread and juice or if you, if you just want to pray with me, we'll do this. I remember so much of what Jesus did on the cross is this new covenant and this new way of being, this new way of living and this new way to have his spirit in us because of what has he did on the cross his body broken for us we're able to live in that new life so jesus thank you for your body broken for us we take this bread in remembrance of you let's eat His blood poured out the old sacrificial system where they would put the put the lamb, the blood over the doors, and they would bring sacrifices to him into the temple. And Jesus took that sacrifice once for all and his blood poured out for us. Jesus, your blood forgiving our sins, wiping us clean so we can be in a relationship with you. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for that, Jesus. We drink in remembrance of you, what you did for us on the cross. Let's drink. Thank you so much for joining today at Willow Park Church Online. It was a pleasure to be here. hope um, that made sense. And I hope that we realize this is the end of religion. And I'll leave you with this. What was isn't what is. My crazy way of saying things. What is isn't what was. What once cast a shadow has now come into the light. What was once good is now best. Who is, always was, and always will be. I hope that makes more sense to you now. God bless you. Have a great week.